If you would, take a copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians in the New Testament. And for the next couple of weeks, we will be focusing on uh, this passage of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, the entire chapter. And so last week we began this, this, uh, this mini-series, if you would, with the question of who am I? Who am I? And this is a, a series that we're looking at to try to develop a biblical worldview about man, about who we are, about what it means to be a human, what it means to be a person, what is our identity, who are we? These are big questions. These are questions that we all have. This is part of what we call a worldview. If you've ever heard that term, I've used it a few times. A worldview is, is basically your, how you operate, how you, how you think and interpret everything around you. So God did not make us so that every day we wake up, we sit up in bed, and we go, who am I, where am I, what, what am I here for? Could you imagine such a life? Like, like constant amnesia every day. You just wake up and don't know who you are. God didn't make us like that. We have within us a set of, of questions that are answered about the basics of who we are, why we're here, what we do, what we're supposed to do, what our goals are. And this is, is what's called your worldview, how you see the world, how you interpret the world. And everybody has one. Whether good or bad, whether right or wrong, whether true or false, everybody has a, what we would call a worldview. And essential in that is the question, who am I? And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then the Bible should be a major part of that worldview. Especially for that question, who am I? It should be shaped upon God's Word because God, as we looked at last week, has revealed to us who we are. We can look to God's Word and see the, how God would answer the question, who are you? And so last week, we began to talk about our identities. We began to talk about how God shapes our identities. We begin to, to look at the beginning of Genesis, where God created man. And so we're created by him. We're, 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 we're gifted. We're made in his image, in his likeness. All humanity, though we might look different, though we might come from different areas, different cultures, different backgrounds, we all bear equality in our likeness, image, worth, and value before God. Man, woman, child, elderly, any color of skin that you might be, any background or nation that you might come from, any culture that you were born into, you're a human. And you equally bear those things. And the Christian worldview is that we should honor that and we should treat others like that because we primarily don't identify with where we come from but who created us? And we find out our identity in God's Word when it comes to that. But we also looked at the fact that Satan has a say in who we are. Satan, the tempter, came and tempted Eve, and sin entered into humanity. And because of that, what God's perfect design is, God's perfect reflection of Himself, is sometimes hard to see because we're all sinners. 
And that's where we find ourselves today. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 1 is one of the most important passages of the Bible that, that in my life, in my testimony. I remember when uh, I went to Bible college and I thought that I knew it all. And I had a professor that just challenged me to read Ephesians chapter 1. And it just brought me to my knees. Ephesians chapter 1 just begins with, with God and His work and, and what He has done and, and who He is and how He saved us. And it, it's an incredible passage. In fact, I believe 14 verses are one sentence. Paul got so excited as he's writing to the Ephesians. He broke all the rules of grammar and just, just piled it on there. And then he goes to Ephesians 2 and he begins to break down what it means that God would call us, that God would choose us, that we would be His. And that's where we pick up. And as we pick up, I want to ask you a question. I thought about raising hands, but I don't know if anybody will admit to this. Who watches zombie movies? Do we have any zombie movie watchers? Some people are really big into the zombie movies. In fact, over the last few years, there's been a TV show um, called The Walking Dead. And a lot of people really got into it. From my understanding, like, I, I, I just remember like people were all about it. Now you don't hear about it. I never, I never got into it, but, but it, it was a show about zombies. And, and you, know, you know, zombie movies, they all kind of follow the same thing. There's some kind of an infection or a virus or something, and it, and it makes the walking dead. People who are, are dead, but they're walking around and I don't know, they, they go to light or they go to noise or whatever and they try to eat you and so you've got to fight the zombies. And, uh, and, and so we all know about the zombies, right? You would be interested to know that that's kind of how the Bible describes us. The walking dead. Not, not zombies from a virus, but the virus is sin. Some of you are laughing. I'm going to show you. This is exactly what it says. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's going to be the text that we focus on today. And here Paul writes, and he, he, after he talks about the, the wonder of salvation, he goes back and he reminds those in Ephesus and us today that there was a time that we didn't know the Lord. There was a time that we didn't have an allegiance to the kingdom of God. There was a time where we, like those that we see all amongst us, are the walking spiritual dead. That all of us, we ask the question, who am I? I am a sinner in need of redemption. I am a sinner in need of redemption. That's one of the base things for us to understand. If you have a Christian worldview, if you have come to Jesus Christ for salvation, one of the base things that you should know, that you should agree with, is I am a sinner in need of redemption. Occasionally, I'll hear someone share their testimony, and they'll basically act like they never were a sinner. In fact, I, I, I know a man, and I, I love this man, and I remember one of the first times that, that I, I met him and heard his testimony, and, 
he basically just said, you know, I've always been a good person. I've always, I've always gone to church. I've, I've had some problems, but I've always been pretty good. I've always loved the Lord. I've had a lot of problems with wives. I've had four. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person, and, and I just, you know, got more involved in church this time and decided to love my wife more this time, and, uh, and I love Jesus. I was like, brother, you, do you realize that you were a sinner? Well, I didn't do the things best, but are you a sinner? Our culture today won't tolerate that word. Many pulpits today won't utter that word. But I would dare for you to challenge me with a way that you could look at the Bible and understand salvation and not articulate and see the concept that you are a sinner. In fact, I would say this, if you weren't a sinner, we wouldn't need Jesus to die. Because Christ died for sinners, of which I'm the chief, Paul writes and says. We don't like to talk about it, understandably. We don't like to confront others about it. But let God be true and every man a liar. His Word states this, and this is foundational for us to understand. And, and, and I have to tell you, it is not popular in our culture. It's not popular because people don't like to hear that they are sinners. But if you're a believer, you should, in the foundation of the fabric of your life, understand yourself the way that God describes you and what has happened to you. That because of the sin of Adam and Eve that you brought on sin on yourself, that's called federal headship. But we're not just condemned for the sin that Adam and Eve did. It gives us a, a, a propensity towards sin. And, and if you've ever had a small child, you know it doesn't take long for them to figure out that they're sinners too. They would, they would, small children would probably murder you if they could. Like they are intense right we're all sinners in need of redemption that's what i want to talk to you about today as we look at this text as we look at this text the first thing that i want you to see is to be able to say this i need redemption because i'm spiritually dead i need redemption because i'm spiritually dead and it's very interesting the way that paul writes this passage. Paul writes in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 here, and he writes in such a way that he is reminding the individuals who would receive the letter, who would receive the Word of God, he's reminding them of where they once were, but at the same time describing the world as it is. Does that make sense? So it's, it's not just a cop-out. It's not just a look at everybody else and say, ha, now I see what's going on. It's also a bit of reflection to say, you once were, I once were. These things should not define me and have a part in my life still. So the first thing, I need redemption because I'm spiritually dead. And this is the, verse 1 here. He writes and he says, after concluding about, the, the, about all that, 
that, that Christ has done. Look at, look at verse 22 ahead. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Whew. Big transition. And you were dead. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. That's a very graphic word, isn't it? He's going to go and say, you were walking, you were living, you were alive, but you were a corpse. You were dead. How is it that the lost are alive and dead? Well, they're very much alive in the things that they do. They're very much alive in the sin that they pursue, but they're very much dead when it comes to the things of the Spirit. They're very much dead when it comes to the things of God. They're very much dead when it comes to having a life get living, given to glorify God. That's not their concern. Their concern is what Paul says here, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Those are two words that the Bible often uses to describe uh, sinfulness. This idea of trespasses and sins in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sin is described in, in, in multiple ways for you to understand. Multiple pictures, if you would. The idea of trespass is, is very much like what we would say in sports. Anybody remember sports? Right? Like people used to get together and play games together and you'd go watch it. It was amazing. Um, but uh, in, in sports, you know, in baseball, you have the foul lines. Or, or, or probably more apt, you have the, you have the, uh, the, the baselines, right? And so I coach Little League and, you know, inevitably within the season, at some point, there is going to be an out because the runner runs out of the baseline. Because they're trying to tag him and he decides that, you know, he can try to go around second base and come back to it or something weird. And it's a, it's a transgression. There's a line and you stepped away from it. You stepped over and we're in basketball with the foul line. If you're dribbling down the court with the ball and you cross the line, the, the, the referee blows the whistle and you have to reset. The ball gets transferred to the other team because you have broken, you have transgressed the foul line. You have, you have broken the rule of the game. Well, God has established His law before all man. And this is important for you to understand. What is sin? What is sin? We can name sins, but what is sin? A sin is anything that breaks God's law. God has said, don't do something. And we do that thing. We have sinned. God says to do something and we do not do that thing. We have sin. Sin is a transgression of God's law. Sin is not clumsiness. Sin is not necessarily forgetfulness. Sin is not being wrong on a math question. Sin is when we transgress God's law. And so this idea of trespasses means that, that the law is clear. The line is clear. Trespasses carries with it an intentionality that I would know that this is wrong. And I say, I don't care. I transgress. We've all done that, right? We've all justified sin. We've all known God says do not do this. And, and, and we go on and do that. 
The concept of sin or to, is to miss the mark. So it uses trespasses and sins. And this is a more general idea that just we're not doing right. We're not doing what God has commanded. We're, we're missing the standard that God has set forth that we should live in. We're missing the mark. And this isn't given to say that there's only two kinds of sins that you would commit. But what it's saying is, is that man in his deadness lives constantly in breaking God's law intentionally and breaking God's law by missing what God's standard or mark for him would be. Dead. The walking dead. We're in need of redemption because we're dead. Are, are you able to say, before I knew Christ, I was dead? Do, do you see how coming to salvation then, if we understand ourselves like this, if we understand the, the condition that we're in, that we need, do we understand the power of what salvation is? I went from death to life. That's how Jesus describes it multiple times, isn't it? Death to life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You know me, you know life, you have life. There is life, abundant life. But without Christ, we're dead. We're dead. If you've never come to Jesus for salvation, you're dead. You're walking around. You're doing things, but your life cannot honor Him. Your life cannot honor God. You need to be redeemed. And Jesus makes that possible. The second thing that we need to know about who we are considering this is I need redemption because I am deceived. I need redemption because I am deceived. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked following the course of this world. In which you once walked following the course of this world. The first thing that we need to see is that we are deceived by the world. We're deceived by what we uh, perceive as truth. We're discouraged or we're deceived by the world's philosophy. We're deceived by the, the, the world's ways. By looking around and saying, well, everybody else does it. This is what's popular. This is what it's thought of. This is how we should think and do and function. The truth of it is, is what we are beginning to see is that the Christian worldview is, is counter to that of the world's view. Some of you may have grown up in a day and an age where the Christianity, the, the concept of Christianity, the truths of Christianity were, were, were fairly accepted throughout our cultural fabric, throughout our land. But all you have to do is turn on the news, read academic journals to understand that that baseline has changed. The world our world, our culture, is becoming more and more antagonistic about a Christian worldview. About one that would say that there is sin. About one that would say there is individual responsibility and consequences for that which you would do. 
Our world is changing from these things. The, 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 the wisdom of the world, the philosophy of the world is changing. And our young people, we're sending them to schools without any preparation, without any thought of what a Christian worldview would be. And we're saying, here, go learn from these smart people. And they're filling their heads with worldly wisdom. And many older people are buying it as well. That's, that's what we see before us. That's, have, you, have you just looked in the last few weeks and wondered what is going on? What is this? What is, what is happening? What's, what's going on? Has everything gone crazy? What you're, what you're seeing is just this. You're seeing that there is an undercurrent within our culture, within education, within these things that, that promotes two, uh, two philosophies. Two philosophies that are philosophies of man, not of God. The first is humanism. Humanism is a philosophy that rejects supernaturalism, any theism, any existence of God. It stresses the, the individual's dignity, worth, and capacity for self-realization through reason. We're seeing this unfold before our eyes, that, that there is this concept that we can create the, the perfect man, that we can reach a utopia of equal balance and, and equality, and that, that we can do so by changing power from one group to another group and, and, and doing all these things. There are all these phrases and all these words, and, and most of us don't know and understand the extent, but in the background, what's been happening is academia has been pushing these theories for a long time. And that's what we're seeing play out before our eyes. The concept of individual responsibility is being changed to the responsibility of a group. Some groups have power, some groups don't have power. If we, if we bring equity within the power of the system, then man will be equal, man will stop doing bad things, and man will be good. That's what's being promoted. That is the background of a lot of the things that we're seeing today. This idea, this concept, this, this philosophy is called critical theory. And it takes all kinds of forms. There's critical race theory. There's critical law theory. That, that, that's the abolish the police. Like we look at this and we think that's crazy, right? Like, what do you mean? Get rid of all police? From a Christian worldview, we think, oh my goodness, because we know that people are sinners. And if we move, remove the restraint from sin, sinners are going to sin. But in other philosophies, what you have to understand is they, they don't start with the concept that man is a sinner. They start with the concept that man is neutral. Man is good. And it is the systems that make man either, either uh, uh, oppressed or elevated. And the oppressed will do the things of the oppressed and the elevated will do the things of the elevated and they'll be in conflict with each other. But if you can make the equity between that, then everything will be perfect. Man just needs education. Man just needs revolution. Man just needs equality. This is the basis of communism. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. And we're seeing this in our society. 
And I want you to understand that when you turn on the news and when you see this, what you're seeing, what you're seeing played out in many ways is a worldview that's counterintuitive to Christianity. Now let me mark this. There is true racism still today. And it is intolerable. And the lives of all black people matter. The lives of all colors matter. That's what the Bible tells us. And when we see true injustice, when we see true individual sin against individuals, we need to speak up. We need to say things. But that's a, that's a biblical worldview. Not, not a worldview of transitions of, of powers and groups. And, and, and this is why the identity politics and the identity and, and breaking everybody in different groups. It's not just black and white. It, it has to do with affinities. I, you know, there's, a, there's environmentalists that are inequitable that need to receive equity. It goes beyond just our identity as far as our natural identity and skin color. It goes into your beliefs, your choices, and how you want to define yourself. And here's the reality. We're sinners. There will never be equality. One of the most scary things is for us to believe that we could just make everybody equal in that way in the world because there are sinners that will take advantage of it. Look through history. Look at Stalin. Look at Hitler. The Bible gives us a very different worldview. I'm fired up this week. <laughs> I, I could turn this into three hours. There's, there's just so much to say here, but I want you to realize that when you hear these things, when you, when you hear about these, these systems that are opposed, that's the background theories. It is a theory that is antithetical to Christianity. And, and I'm seeing so many brothers in the faith that are buying into it. Because there's parts of it that it does describe things that are wrong, and there are wrongs that need reform. But the way that they're talking about it, that's, that's the world's wisdom. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived in thinking that man is neutral and good. And if you just brought equity within the system, that there would be uh, no wrongs and no harm, and, and, and then, you know, the magical unicorns appear. That's, that's never going to happen this side of the cross. The only place in this world where that should be so is in the church. Paul's going to talk about that as we read in Ephesians 2. Within the body. There's something that happens that can't happen within the world. So we see humanism. We see materialism. Materialism is, is just basically the theory that, that, that everything is physical matter and energy. And from this, you get theories of evolution. From this, you get Darwinism. From this, you, you get that we're just, we're just physical energy that are here and, and, and man, you start playing that thing out and there's no purpose, no point in life whatsoever. It is the most empty concept ever. But it has taken over so many things within our culture, so many things within education. There can be no God in that system. 
There can be no divine. There can be uh, nothing except matter. You're just matter. You're just a little bit different than the chair that you're sitting in. But you're all just matter and energy. That, that's the emptiness of these philosophies. And they will deceive you. And they will keep you from accepting the gospel. How many people do you know that these philosophies are, are how they see the world, they're how they define themselves, and they won't even listen to what you would say about salvation. They won't even listen to what you would say about a benevolent God who loves you, who knew that you needed redemption, and who sent Jesus Christ to save you. And if you would just trust in Him, He would forgive you from all of your sins, and He would give you life. And they say, <laughs> I'm smarter than that. Don't they? Let God be true and every man a liar. It is easy to be deceived. It is easy to be deceived in these worlds by these systems, by these philosophies. And not only are there, are there philosophies of man in the world that deceive us, but this verse goes on to say that there's even something more powerful than that at work. Keep looking. We're deceived by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The spiritually dead... The dead walkers, as Paul would say here, they're walking around, they're, they're doing things, but they're doing not things that would glorify God. They're doing the bidding of Satan himself. Now, now they don't know that because they're deceived, which is apt because Satan is the liar, the accuser. But that is what is animating them. That is what they are doing. Sinners are not just doing as they please. They're, they're, they're literally almost the way this says, like puppets, like the, the prince of the power of the air. He is the one in control. Satan is alive and in this world. Humanism, materialism, neither one of them can explain the spiritual powers at force in this world. And it's there. And the more we buy into these philosophies and the more that we think that, that only the things that exist are the things that can be scientifically, factually proven, that can be measured, weighed, and are matter, the more Satan, I think, just laughs knowing he's blinded us even more. Not just the world, but many times those in the church. According to God's Word, according to this passage that we're reading, true wokeness is understanding that you're a sinner. Is understanding that you're in this system. Is understanding that you are dead. And, and being woke is but God, which we will get to. But God, He wakes us up. He makes us alive. He shows us the deadness in which we've lived. And everyone who is a genuine Christian will be able to say that in their testimony. When I talk to individuals and I ask them about, are you saved? Are you a Christian? What I'm looking for is a concept of an exchange that they understand that they were sinners and Jesus died for them. But I'm also looking for the fact that they understand that there was a change. There was a, a change in allegiance, if you would. That they were dead in their sins and made alive in Christ. 
that there was awakening. These are, these are Bible words. These are, these are theology words. These are things that we sing about in our hymnal, in our, in our songs. Awakening. Awake. Quickening. Anybody remember that old word? The quickening of the Spirit? That means to be made alive. This is how the Bible describes salvation. Is that there is a change. There is a, a difference. So man needs salvation. We need salvation because we're dead. Because we're deceived by the world. We're deceived by Satan. I'm going to finish this today. So we're going to move real fast, real quick, okay? We need redemption because I need redemption because I'm depraved. I'm depraved. And that's a word that, that makes us go, ew. I think it should make us go, ew. I think we should use uh, dirty words for dirty things. Somebody, somebody is committing adultery. We called it an affair. That's a nice word for a dirty thing. Does that make sense? We're depraved. What that means is that to our core, we are corrupted, we are sick, we are perverted. That's why we need the power of Christ. Man is depraved. And when we use and theologically talk about that man is totally depraved or unable, what we're saying is not that man is as bad as he could be, Praise God, there's such a thing called common grace. Common grace is the grace of God that even those who resist Him, even those who are the dead walkers, even those who are the worst sinners, God's hand holds on them and the system in which He has holds so that we can have somewhat peace, somewhat joy, live our existence. Even the sun shines on the wicked, Jesus says. If God were to remove that hand, can't imagine the atrocity that every human is capable of carrying out. Because we're wicked. In our core. That's what sin has done. And, and it goes on here and it says, um, Among once we all lived according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And, and this is the dead walker's agenda. This is those without Christ. And unfortunately, I've met many that, that claim Christ, but this is the way they live as well. They live carrying out their own passions. The things that they desire themselves. They, they live for themselves. Without a thought of others. Without a thought of what it could do. And ultimately, without a thought of what God would think about their actions. You see, if you have come to Jesus Christ in salvation, if you have made Him your Lord and Savior, His command is that you would daily deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Him. You would literally wake up every day and say, Jesus, today I live to glorify You, not myself. I have died to self that I can live. That's the call of salvation. And heaven help us when we try to cheapen it and make it basically you can just add a little Jesus to the things that you want in life. Do you realize this about yourself? We have this bent for selfishness, don't we? To fulfill our own passions, to, to, to no matter what, to, 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 to live for ourselves, carrying out the passions of the flesh, the desires of the body and of the mind. We need Christ. We need salvation. We need God's redemption. Because to our 
core, we have this sickness. To our core, we have this drive. And then last, I need redemption because I'm doomed. Because I'm doomed. Without salvation, without God's redemption, without God intervening, just allowing the dead walker to go about his, his dead life spiritually, ultimately one day there will be a reckoning. One day he will stand before the Lord. One day there will be an account from God Himself, a day of judgment that will come for the dead walker and for every one of us. And in that day, those who are not redeemed, it says, are children of wrath. Look back at chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The natural bend of man is not good. If he could just receive education and get out of poverty and have more opportunity, then, then all of humanity would be good and equal. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our problem is not a lack of education. It's a lack of godliness. Because we're dead walkers. We're dead walkers. We're, we're dead spiritually. We're dead to God. And because we're dead to God, we are the children of wrath. We have broken His law and we stand condemned before a holy God. Like the rest of everyone is what it says. By nature, and again, we, we won't get into this deep, but we looked last week about sin and, and Satan coming and our first parents, Adam and Eve, and, and how sin entered into the world through what happened there in the garden. And because of that, we are all born with the inclination to sin. We, we inherit the guilt of Adam, the Bible says. You want to know one of the most important things about Christmas that we don't highlight enough? Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Who was his daddy? God. Not man. He didn't inherit the sin guilt that we did. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of theology in Christmas that we don't highlight, but that's, the, that's one of the most important things about Christmas is that Jesus is, is different in His nature because He doesn't come through man inheriting the guilt of man that we have. And again, I don't know of anywhere in the Bible where God solely condemns us because of the guilt nature that we have. Because it doesn't take long for us if we have the guilt nature to carry out sin ourselves. And that's what God holds us personally responsible for. For the sin that we have committed all of us. What does this mean that we would be children of wrath? It means that at one day, the, the word wrath literally means to be red-faced. Right? So, so you ever made someone so mad <laughs> that their face gets red? Like, occasionally I have a vein that'll like <laughs> pop out. If I suck a milkshake, it'll do the same thing. But, uh, <laughs> but right, so that's the picture. It's just, 
Jonathan Edwards preached what's a famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If you've ever read that sermon, he uses multiple illustrations of God's wrath being withheld for this moment. One of the illustrations is you, uh, you, you, it's like a, like, a, like a dam holding back the water. And at any minute, the dam would burst and you would be overwhelmed by the water and destroyed. You would be like a, it would be like you were dangling from a spider's web and just that, that one thread is holding you over the pit of hell. He used all of these illustrations to, to dramatically call the people and say, realize, wake up! You're dead men walking. Friends, today, from the Word, I've showed you the same thing. And I've done it with two intentions. One is for us, who have been made alive in Christ, for, for those of us who have been saved, that we would understand our condition, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, that we would be able to look at the world and we would understand it, that we would look at philosophies that are competing for our allegiance and we would be able to deny them and stand firm on the Word of God. But I have another motive in this sermon. And it's for those of you, whether here or listening, who've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. My prayer and my hope is that you would realize the need. That you would realize the condition. That you would realize you're a sinner. And that you need Jesus. One of the most marvelous verses in all the Bible is in Romans chapter 3. It says that in Christ, God is both just and the justifier for those who have faith. That because of Jesus, God can be just. He can say, there is sin. My law has been broken. My wrath has been propitiated. It will be poured out upon you. He can be just. But He can also be the justifier and say, because you've trusted in My Son, because you've believed in Him and followed Him, He has taken your punishment. He has taken His sin or your sin upon Himself. Friends, have you trusted in that? It's really simple. We, we teach our kids at VBS every year the ABCs of salvation. What does it take to believe? What does it take to be saved? You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to admit, I, I've been a walking dead man. I've been spiritually dead to the things of God. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is in the Bible. That He is the Son of God who came and lived and died to take away your sin. And that you want to follow Him. Confess. Confess Him as your Savior, as your Lord. It's almost like a like a ceremony where somebody would uh, would become an, a, a citizen of the United States. You're saying, I no longer want to be the walking dead. I no longer want to be under the control and the kingdom of Satan. I want to be in the kingdom of Jesus and I want to follow Him. I confess Him as my Lord. I confess Him as my Savior. You do that and you're saved. Have you done that? Are you willing to do that? Friends, if you still have questions, I would 
call me, talk to me, whatever. Somebody that you know that's a believer. But don't listen to this. Don't feel the conviction at this moment and say, I'll take care of it later and walk away. And one day stand before God and say, yeah, I heard the gospel, but I refused. Today is the day. Salvation is near. Would you take hold of it? Would you realize that you are a sinner in need of redemption? And God has made it possible.